0: Welcome to Diverse, a Society of Women Engineers podcast. SWE gives women engineers a unique place and voice within the engineering community. On Diverse, we highlight the incredible thought leaders and personalities in our community and discover who they are at home, at work, and in between. You can find all of our podcast episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and iHeartRadio. Hello, I'm your host, Sam East, and welcome to Diverse, a SWE podcast. Please remember to subscribe and follow us on Instagram at SWE Diverse Podcast. On today's episode of Diverse, I'm joined by Anna Shepalovich. Anna is a senior mechanical engineer at TAE Technologies, a Southern California-based company developing commercial fusion power. Founded in 1998, the company's pioneering work represents the fastest, most practical, and economically competitive solution to bring abundant, clean energy to the grid. Anna, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello. I'm very excited to be here. Well, let's jump right into this. On Diverse, we always like to hear the origin story. So what sparked your interest in this field?
1: Originally, actually, I did not know much about fusion besides what uh, big news were coming up on the news back in Spain about the different research and developments, but it always seemed that it was 30 years away. So I never really got into it until I was already in engineering school. And then I started researching a bit more and it was always something fascinating to me that we one day would be able to harness the power of the sun. But originally, as a kid, I fell in love with cars and motorcycles. That was my passion. I wanted to be a Formula One car driver, but in order for that to be a career, you have to start very, very young. And by the time I developed that passion, it was too late. (laughs) So then I decided, well, if I cannot drive them, I'm going to build them. Mm -hmm. And that's what originally took me to study engineering. I wanted to build race cars. From there, I started working in the automotive industry in Spain, then moved to Detroit, then uh, joined a startup, was there for almost four years. And then eventually, after being 10 years in the industry, I realized that uh, fusion was the only thing that sparked my interest. Because from any other industry, I don't see this level of progress and development that's both needed and has been already achieved. So it was just a challenge like
0: no other, and I had to jump onto onto this opportunity. I really love what you said there about how you you were interested in this field, though it may have been a little too late for you to start on the original path you were passionate about, but you didn't let that deter you from making something of your passion.
1: Yeah, I I had that love and I really wanted to drive them, but I had a curious mind and building them didn't only mean being part of it, it also meant progressing the technology and the advancement. So it forced me to refocus how to still be connected to my passion through different means. And that refocusing uh, mindset is something that has helped me uh, throughout my life, uh, not only my career, but that looking at, okay, I have this problem in front of me. I want to do this, but I can't. Let me think about it a little bit of a different way. And I guess that's what engineering is
0: in mm. the end <laughs> a reimagining over and over again. Yep. I love that. Now, let's talk more about your interest in formula racing in Spain. I would love to hear more about how that really sparked the interest into engineering and the automotive industry?
1: Well, the Formula One races were on the TV every time there was a race, so I was exposed to it through the interest of my dad and my older brother. But then once the Spanish driver, Fernando Alonso, started to make a name for himself, that was really inspiring to see somebody that grew up not that far from where I was breaking through the industry as somebody who was self-made. And that really sparked interest to follow it, to really get into it and get into all the excitement that comes with it. My dad was a professional athlete and a coach uh, later on in his sport. So I was exposed to that mentality of uh, competition. Racing and engineering competition at that was just almost like a natural extension from what I had been exposed,
0: but applied to my passion. So you mentioned there your dad and your brother; those were some of the people that were around you as your interest in this field was growing. Were there any female influences around you, or was this sort of a trail that you were blazing on your own? It there were not
1: uh, female references, uh, not in engineering or in uh, racing, for that matter. It, it was something that the same way I had to reframe my mind about. How to being around athletes, it was a very interesting experience because up with that mentality of if you want something, you make it happen, mm. you work for it, you put yourself in the best possible position so that when the opportunity is there, you can you can take it. And did that present
0: any challenges for you though? Because it sounds from you know, even early in this conversation, you're very headstrong, you were very determined to blaze your own trail, but Being a trailblazer comes with challenges. What did those look like for you? Loneliness, (laughs) I'd say. Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, It was, at times, a lonely path. Being the one that opens the path, it's just difficult because there are no references. So any situation that you're in, you don't have places to go to find advice or mentorship or, or anything like that. I was very lucky, though, that I grew up in the Basque country in northern Spain, and the culture there is quite different from the rest of Spain, which meant that once I reached engineering school, a third of the class were women. So when I did arrive to engineering school, that was refreshing to see that, oh, there are more people like me here. And that just made it very clear that it was possible to achieve anything that I wanted.
0: Oh, I love that. That's going to inspire a lot of people to keep pursuing, even if there may not be direct representation in front of them. Although, like you said, it looks like that's changing now.
1: It is, but in in the end, when there is no representation, and other groups of people today have that—that that they don't have in our representation in any field that they may be interested in—and it takes the grit, the commitment of an individual to push through. All of the challenges, the complexities and and believing in oneself almost to the point of madness, mm-hmm. to open those doors. And once there is one person, then it's easier for the second person, and then it's easier for the third person and then slowly becomes mm-hmm. the norm. I have seen that shift in Europe with engineering, but not as much in in the states in the automotive industry. It's still catching up to that
0: specifically. Mm-hmm. So as you're blazing this trail of yours, you had your formula participation in Spain. You worked in the automotive industry for several years, including uh, Rivian for three years. What was it like? What's that feeling to be on the leading edge of the EV movement and to contribute in such a unique way?
1: Yes. So a on the formula involvement, it was actually Formula SAE. This is a completely different category. It is an engineering student competition. First time, I found myself with the ability to really challenge myself if that is what I wanted to do. I was part of the founding team of the electric team uh, for Formula SAE at my school. And again, there were no references, no how that we could start from or anything like that. So it was a lot of just learning as you go. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, when I joined Rivian, the company was around 500 employees. It still operated very much in its early ages of everything, of development, of requirements, of figuring out uh, the full details of what the product was going to be. And I got hired in as the first person to start the team after it was decided that the gearboxes were going to be developed in-house. So as such, I found myself in the exact same position. Black sheet of paper, no legacy knowledge, no know-how to be able to use as a reference, and a whole new product. And that is what excites me. That was what I was looking for when I landed at the end. And, And we used to joke that the with startups in the early stages, it's like a Formula SAE team, just with a little bit more money.
0: <laughs> <laughs> At this time, again, we're talking about how you're blazing your own trail here, but were there any people, mentors along the way that were great guideposts for you?
1: Yes. When, when I was in Spain and I started working as an engineer it There was a colleague that she had been working 20 years in the industry already. And it was a very interesting thing to learn from her because obviously when she started, it was also a different society, a different culture. And the stuff that she had to go through is something that fortunately I didn't have to, but there was still a lot of sexism Mm -hmm. when she started. But just having somebody next to me that... I can see how she reacts to different moments and how she manages situations. That that was really important for me to, to form myself, how to be professional under circumstances where you don't feel respected. That was a, a big learning curve. Later on, when I moved to the States, I found that I needed most navigation. It wasn't the cultural difference itself from Europe to the States. It's not something that I had expected the culture to be that different. So I first had to kind of recover from the shock. But just being around other people that had gone through that, other expats that were there temporarily or that had moved, that really helped me navigate further because now I wasn't only encountering the gender difference with my colleagues, but also a big cultural difference. Mm -hmm. Always having people around that have gone through something similar helps. I like to learn from other people's experiences. So it was my effort to reach out and to look and be observant and ask questions when I felt comfortable enough to do so. So it's not as much that I had one person to guide me. It was a group of different people that helped me at different moments in time that Mm -hmm. I found very, very valuable.
0: It sounds like as you mentioned a few things there and I'm curious about you said you experienced the sexism there especially being in the minority of women represented in this field mm-hmm. in your in your perspective do you think things have progressed from the early stages of your career to where things stand now on that front
1: It's difficult to say because although there's more awareness of how people should behave in mm-hmm. the office space there's always a group of people that do it because they have to, not because they believe in that that's the way they should behave mm. in a way. So you can see the difference when somebody is genuine and when somebody is kind of a little bit forced uh, to to be in that situation. And I've also encountered the, the different attitudes of, oh, this doesn't affect me so i'm not gonna get bothered yes exactly Mm -hmm. um and i guess the biggest difference that i found is as the next generation started coming in the proportion of people uh, from different generations that starts to shift and that is what starts changing the overall culture of the team so it's almost as if old mentalities are phased out New ones come in, and uh, over a matter of time, there is going to be a, a generational change that causes this cultural and mentality change. Mm-hmm. But that is where I've seen the most progress, the most genuine difference in in how people talk to you, how people treat you, and how people approach you in asking questions or, or anything like that. It, the biggest difference I've noticed has always been a generational thing that causes those
0: So important to welcome and usher in this new wave of women in STEM, right?
1: Yeah. I am very curious to see how the next generation that have had more support through their forming years, how that's going to impact the confidence in the national world. Because let's not make a mistake. It's that we were not prepared or that we were not capable or or that we couldn't do Mm it. That is That is not what's changing. Mm-hmm. What is changing is the confidence that we have when we walk into a room mm-hmm. hearing all day long, or all the month, or whatever different makes you speak differently. Therefore, your whole posture, energy is different, and that Absolutely makes a does. difference.
0: So we, of course, have to talk about your time with TAE Technologies. For those that don't really know, the company is really working to address one of the world's biggest challenges, which is providing safe, clean, commercial fusion energy and sustainable solutions, which is really the forward momentum right now. But TAE isn't a household name just yet. So tell us more about the company and the role that you play within it.
1: Yeah. So TAE is an incredible company. when. When I started learning about it, I didn't know specifically about TAE until the recruiter reached out. And when they were explaining to me what TAE does, I was immediately wanting to jump on, onto that to know more, to understand exactly what kind of fusion was being developed, the status of it, et cetera. I, I wanted to know more. Through the interview process, I I got the answers I needed to see the kind of company that that it is uh, with the spin-offs that have already happened from the technology developed or rather from the research for developed fusion and that ability to create those spin-offs it just spoke to this culture of innovation and getting things done that that is important to me that culture was a very important part of my decision to join TA so it's a great place to be it is very new there is a a lot of things that need to be figured out, even to understand what the next steps are going to be in the development of fusion. And everybody is committed to, to that goal. Something that I really love about TAE is that I don't experience some of those ways of thinking mm-hmm. from a century-old industry. And that's very refreshing, very, very refreshing. And applied to this field where There is again clean sheet of paper, not really a lot of know-how or legacy. The knowledge needs to be first discovered in order to be applied. Mm -hmm. And that for anybody that is looking for that kind of challenge, TAE is definitely the place for that that combination of the focus and the target and what is wanting to be achieved and the way it's being achieved is is something I can recommend. That sounds like a really progressive place to work. Yes. I asked myself, well, why? What are, why are these differences as such? And I think the conclusion that I ended up getting to is that lack of legacy things harder, obviously, for on the technical side. Mm -hmm. But there is no established methods and processes and rigidity that you have to stay within that and that applies to that mentality because mm-hmm. it is so new. It attracts people that are interested in the the in the most difficult of the technical aspects, and that makes you have to have an open mind. And I think that just ends up affecting everything else.
0: Mm-hmm. And you know, sometimes in this field of work, people can be sort of overwhelmed by the solutions to it, right? How do we find these sustainable solutions? But you are currently making strides and you are doing the work and blazing the trail, which is what we've been talking about so much in our conversation. What does the future of energy look like?
1: Hopefully clean (laughs) and abundant. (laughs) Mm -hmm. If we are successful or when we are successful in, in this endeavor, I am hoping that energy becomes something that we don't have to think about. It becomes something as available everywhere in the world and affordable that is just not something that we have to think about anymore. Mm-hmm. That's what my hope is. And that is what the hope is for TAE, is to create this source of energy that is clean, that is cheap, that's that's affordable, and that can be deployed in that way that it becomes a no-brainer for all of humanity.
0: Mm-hmm. That just comforted me (laughs) because when it comes to this topic, I mean, especially for someone who doesn't necessarily work in the field, it feels overwhelming, it feels dark, and it feels like there might not be a solution in our lifetime. But what you've surmised for us is you're making great strides in this field and you feel hopeful about it.
1: Yes, there are different types of fusion and the type of fusion that TAE is pursuing is uh, technically achieved. But it does have the benefits that it is actually clean. Mm-hmm. So it does take you would think that that it takes more of an effort uh, to get it done, but the achievement is quite quite promising. And again, from those from the interview process and getting to learn the company, the culture, I remember thinking to myself during the visit, well, if there's any company that's going to make it, I think this is the one that actually can. Mm -hmm. And that mentality of it is going to be more difficult to make fusion this way, but it is the right way to do it because it is going to be the one that it's clean. It is the one that's going to be the most beneficial for humanity. And therefore, even though it's more complicated and more challenging, it's the right thing to pursue.
0: Anna, what do you think the biggest lesson has been since you've started working in the engineering field?
1: Being nimble. Being nimble is something that it's one of those things that are not taught in school, but I think it's been the skill that I've had to use the most because. Things constantly change. And this doesn't really matter if it's a startup or a traditional company. Obviously in a startup environment, there's way more of that, but there's always something unexpected that happens either from uh, results of a test or new budgets or uh, priority changes. It doesn't matter. There's always constant change, same as life, Mm -hmm. being able to be mentally nimble and and not be too attached to your own ideas mm-hmm. is something that has been the, the biggest skill that's helped me
0: the most. Oh, I love that. I've never heard that answer before. And that's uh, it can be applied to any field and life situation that you're yep. in, really.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think because engineering has been so, so, so technical, the training of engineers has been very much focused on the technical side. And not so much on the interpersonal skills or the soft skills, as Mm -hmm. I said. But the soft skills needed to succeed in anything in life are pretty much the same. So when during that training years of engineering school, the only thing they tell you is about the technical side, that is what you focus on. So later on, you go to work and that is what you focus on, is on, on fixing the technical problem in front of you. It does breed the mentality of there's a problem, I need to fix it, but not so much about how we're gonna fix it and what is going to be the cost of those things that does take to get those things done. That on the more personal or spiritual side, if you want the soul of the people that are doing that work. Yep. That's what I think is kind of as you said, it applies to everything in life. And it's almost that part because of how the training of engineers has been thought, it's almost that a very big important part has been left out of the process of the training. Mm. And it is why I love Formula SAE so much to the point that I am still a design judge. I'm still involved with the competition as a design judge because it's one of the few places that allows engineers to learn or students to learn more than just the technical side but how to work with other people to achieve a common goal while having school and work and and all of these other things so learning how to work in a team and how to operate within a group of people mm-hmm. that is in engineering in work in life in everywhere so whatever principles work in general life it's going to work Any professional situation as well.
0: You mentioned there, you know, how you're still involved on the judging panel, working with students, younger people, and younger professionals in the field. What advice would you give to young women in particular who are considering pursuing a path in the renewable energy sector or the EV industry? Be patient.
1: I think being patient is also one of those skills that are not really taught. As much as they should, but in this case, be patient with yourself and be patient with the people around you. Good intentions is clouded by lack of knowledge and education, and it requires a degree of patience with the people around you and their backgrounds, and with oneself and the and the emotions that you go through in that. Roller coaster of environment to stay calm and just things will get better. But the patience allows for a calm mind throughout all of this. And the outcomes are always when we have our mind calm than when we're riled up. So, uh, patience is the key step to being in control of oneself and therefore be able to affect our environment the way we want it instead of being reactive to it. That is going to be required for what's coming there is going to be i believe in the years ahead and for the next generation because there is still a clash of uh older generation with newer generation a full change a full cycle change hasn't happened yet and because of that there's still it's still going to be turbulent the road so for that patience is the number one thing that i would recommend
0: mm, i love that again So much of what you've said is applicable in just about every situation.
1: Yeah, I mean the the key there is what we experience in the industry is actually not that much different than what we experience in life. So, same principles apply, and I think that is that is what we need to talk about. Is it's not so much how do we make a change in this specific industry or in this specific field; it's how do we change. The whole of society because corporations are direct reflection of what mm-hmm. the society is you can't change one without changing the other you can't there could be one step ahead of each other, but they follow each other very closely and this affects to really any minority it's uh, corporate worlds and companies that are very big need to follow certain processes so that there is order in how things are done and how the resources are managed. And that is no different than our society. And we cannot live in two completely different systems. So it is only natural that the professional is just a reflection of the larger society. And uh, that's why I think that the biggest change will come in the professional world is once we see those larger steps in overall life.
0: Anna, I've loved having this conversation with you. Before we let you go, can you leave us with some words to live by?
1: Yes. I'd like to leave with this thought is sometimes there's a difference of what we think we want versus what we actually want. And the only way to find that is by trying and being okay with making those mistakes using failure as a tool to learn more about and what we actually want to do in life. I think that that's the thought I'd like to leave with. It's okay to make mistakes as long as you use them as you're to learn them. It's That's the reframing that I'd like to do with that concept and kind of leave that there. Like next reframing for me is that it is what has led me to this new challenge in my life. And I think that anybody would benefit from, again, anywhere in life. Just it's okay to try. It's okay to figure it out along the way as you're figuring out yourself.
0: And yeah, that's that's the thought i like to leave with. Mm, I love that. That was so good, Anna. Thank you so much for time to speak with us today on the Diverse Podcast.
1: Thank you. This was a great experience.
0: <laughs> I loved it. And where can we uh, find you if someone wanted to reach out perhaps or ask a question? Well, I do have a LinkedIn profile.
1: That is kind of um, the place where it's a the social place for professionals. I have there my my contact and I reach up through there. So anybody who wants to reach out to me, my messages are open there.
0: Love that. Thank you, Anna. Thank you. I'm Sam East. For all of us at SWE, thank you for listening. Please like and share our podcast on SWE.org, SoundCloud, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Till next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with your social network. You can keep up to date with our podcast on Instagram at SWE Diverse Podcast and on our blog, all together at altogether.swe.org.